Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here. This is YourFolkRadio.com. And uh, as I announced last week, uh, I'm probably going to be able to do this uh, Bloodline show. And uh, I was hoping to get in touch with Michael. He was sick last week, and he sent me a message during the week saying that he's feeling better, but I uh, wasn't able to get a hold of him this morning. So I'm just going to go ahead and proceed without him. Uh, this will be part two of the Nameless War. I put the link in the chat room for uh, this article, or this book actually, uh, from resist.com forward slash online books forward slash the nameless war dot pdf. And Chris Peed has his version on newensign.com as well. So if uh, Chris is around, he can maybe put that link in. So I'm just going to continue with this book, this really outstanding book, which is must-reading for all patriots everywhere, especially since our people need to know (laughs) the extent to which the Jews have choreographed all of this chaos in, in the modern world. And of course, there's not been nothing but chaos in this world since the seduction of Eve in the garden and the two bloodlines coming out of the garden with the Kenites, the descendants of Cain, mixing with the Canaanites, and then Esau, Edom, mixing with the same Canaanites, producing the people we know as Jews in Edom, in the New Testament, the scribes and Pharisees, and to some extent the Sadducees, also carrying that bloodline, and that bloodline still exists in the world today. In the, and, okay, here's here's Michael calling in. All right, hello, Michael. Hello. Okay. Hello. Being late. Okay. Yeah, I was hoping you were well. <laughs> Cause, I'm cause, well. Okay. Yeah, that's very good. Okay. Well, I sent you the link. Uh, it's at uh, resist.com. And and I was just going to get started on page 19. Great. And I'll pick it up from uh, where I left off last week. And then, uh, you know, let me just open a document here real quick and see these. Why don't we just take like two paragraphs each because they're, they're very short paragraphs. And uh, But I'm just, just going to repeat the last couple of paragraphs that I ended with last week, okay, on page 19. And uh, regarding Mr. Necker, who was the king's advisor to on the economy. And it's always bad to have a Jewish advisor on the economy and, uh, you know, or anybody related to or working for a Jewish banker, right? Which appears to be the case for Mr. Neckar. Okay. So I'm going to start on page 19 with the paragraph. King Lewis's chief finance minister, and uh, I'll go through, read through by 1730 Freemasonry, and then I'll turn it over to you for the next two paragraphs. So here we go. King Lewis's chief finance minister during the last years of growing confusion before the French Revolution started was Necker, a Swiss of German extraction. He puts the uh, Quotation marks around the word Swiss with the possible suggestion that maybe he's Jewish, <laughs> right? And not a real Swiss. Of Swiss of German extraction 
son of a German professor of whom McNair Wilson writes, quote, Necker had forced his way into the king's treasury as a representative of the debt system owning allegiance to that system. Okay, so it's quite, he was either a Jew or a, you know, a, a goy working for the Jews. We can easily imagine what policy that allegiance inspired in Neckar. And when we add to this the fact that his previous record was that of a daring and unscrupulous speculator, oh, gee, I don't know any people like that, at least not personally. We can understand why the national finances of France under his baneful aegis rapidly worsened so that after four years of his manipulations, the unfortunate king's government had contracted an additional and far more serious debt of 170 million pounds. Can you believe that some, Michael? This is way back yeah. in, the, in the late 19th century. Yeah, right. that's whose money can be paid back since then. Yeah, right. How are you going to pay that back? Right, you have impossible. to. Yeah, it's impossible to. Uh, you have to declare war against some country and steal all their gold. You know, but the, at this point in time, Michael, virtually every country on the face of the earth was in similar shape because you know, of all the ongoing wars in Europe. They all had to borrow money from. Uh, you know, of course, there was the war between France and Britain and America, which. You know, impoverished both France and England, and uh, you know because this ongoing warfare precipitated by the Bank of England and other Jewish banks kept these countries poor, constantly in debt. And so I'll just read the next paragraph here. By 1730, Freemasonry had been introduced into France from England. By 1771, the movement had attained such proportions that Philippe Duc de Chartres afterwards the Orleans, became Grand Master. So this person was not a Jew. This type of Freemasonry was largely innocent, both in policy and personnel in its early days, but as events proved, the real moving spirits were ruthless and unscrupulous men of blood. He's talking about Jews. We're talking specifically about uh, what's his name? Rothschild, Meyer Amschel Rothschild, and Adam Weishaupt, because they they infiltrated Freemasonry and redirected it in the direction of the Illuminati. Okay, so it sounds like uh, we have a a bad connection here with Michael. Let me just double check here. Yeah, how oh, Okay, okay, we're, you're back. All right, so uh, why don't you take the paragraph? Uh, at the bottom of page 19, about the Duke d'Orleans. Yeah, and a comment is to see here, when after the Bank of England was created, the, the, the war was then proceeded toward the Frenchmen, and here we see the continuation of that war, and that was due to that uh, the French government by that time didn't have a Rothschild control central bank. So that yeah. is always has been bankers' war since the beginning. That's right, that's right. Now, of course, the Jews were using Neckar to uh, influence the, the French economy, right? But they hadn't had a, a established a Jewish bank there yet. But over to you. Yes, and that was, of course, their target. Why Why England and France had those long wars. It was due to this. Due to central banks. Everything right. is about central banks. Exactly. 
Okay, so, but why we don't learn that in school? Why doesn't our children <laughs> learn that in school, Eli? This is interesting. This is history. This is real history. No, wars are only about counting bodies and uh, which politicians uh, supposedly started the war, right? <laughs> yeah, what puppet started the war, yeah. Right. Okay, sorry for that, 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 Sorry for my little rant. Let's continue. So, the Duke de Orleans was not one of uh, these latter, though a man of little principle and an extravagant, vain, and ambitious uh, ah. libertine. Oh, okay. Okay. And he had no motives beyond the out uh, sting of the king and the establishing of an uh, democratic. Demo- a democratic monarchy with himself as the monarch. Oh, yeah, his ambition was to get rid of the king so he can be the monarch. There you yeah. go. There you go. See, there's no shortage of ambitious white men who work for or with the Jews, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, as the Freemasons, right? Yeah, and here is someone that does, does the, here's, uh, what do you say, are you, the, uh, dirty work. I forgot. Yeah, he does the dirty works. Yeah. A Shabbos Goy. There the you go. Amen. Um, having addition, but little intelligence, he made the idle uh, stalking uh, horse for the first and most moderate stage of revolution. And a willing tool of men whom he uh, probably scarcely knew and who sent him uh, to the guillotine soon after his base and away role had been played. Um... The Marguerite de Mirabeau, who succeeded him as the leading figure of the revolution, was cast in much the same role. He was a much abler man than the Orleans, but so full a libertine that he was shunned by all his own class and imprisoned more than once at the instance of his own father. Okay, so we see that uh, we have identified France with, uh, oh, uh, who was the, uh, brother of the Twelve? Uh, his name just slips my, slipped my mind, you know. Uh, he was the one who slept with Jacob's, one of Jacob's wives. And, Ruben. uh, Reuben, thank you. Yeah, sure, a Reuben sandwich, right? <laughs> the Reuben sandwiches. So we see the nation of France, after being so wicked, uh, wicked in its uh, habits at the court with, you know, uh, all, all kinds of uh, sexual affairs going on among the, the various nobility, even at court, right? It, it was it was a shameless court in France, right? And so, and so this this type of activity was pretty much all over the places among the nobility. And this nobility was so decadent that they were easily manipulated, okay? Much, much more easily manipulated than, let's say, in a Christian country, even though it was nominally Christian, it was Catholic, unfortunately. And the Catholic Church wasn't doing anything about it. I'm sure many of the archbishops and bishops were just as decadent as the nobility, okay? So, here, number 26. He is known to have been financed by Moses Mendelssohn. Now we're talking Jews, folks head of the Jewish Illuminati, and to have been more in the company of the Jewish Mrs. Hertz than was her husband. 
he was not only an early figurehead in French Freemasonry in the respectable years, but introduced Illuminism into France. Now, I would say it, what uh, what Ramsay here calls the respectable years, if you read the book Proofs of a Conspiracy by Robeson, you find out that the purpose, even though the Freemasonry that was begun in England had crossed the channel into France, the real purpose of Freemasonry in France was to overthrow the Catholic Church, not necessarily the monarchy. So uh, English Freemasonry was anti-Catholic, but then it morphed into anti-French you know, uh, nobility as well, and then eventually was taken over by the Illuminati. So there was no good purpose for uh, Freemasonry in France at all. It was to, uh, entirely to subvert the country. And so let's continue. This Illuminism was a secret revolutionary society behind Freemasonry. The Illuminati penetrated into all the lodges of Grand Orient Freemasonry and were backed and organized by Kabbalistic Jews. It is interesting to note that the Duke d'Orleans and Talleyrand were both initiated into Illuminism by Mirabeau shortly after the latter had introduced it into France. From Frankfurt, where its headquarters had been established in 1782 under Adam Weishaupt. This is good stuff, folks. This is the this is the meat of conspiratorial literature here. Back to you, Michael. Yes, thank you. Yeah, Adam Weishaupt, the founder of the Illuminati. Amen. And he was the one that eliminate the Freemasonry because. Uh, I also understand, Ella, that Freemasonry was something also that was uh, uh, something active in America during the revolutionary stages. But this Freemason was anti-anti-monarchy, so that That's was right. a way for you to hide because you had because of the what is yeah. the sentiment against the the British crown under yeah Rothschild. So that was R- I guess right. Well, but we, ha- we have to understand that in America, you know, because we're talking about. The days when America was first conceived, 1776, the Illuminati was founded that exactly same year. So there wasn't much infiltration by the Illuminati into American Freemasonry yet, and at least not before the Revolution. That came after the Revolution. The Americas only had three degrees of Freemasonry, and it was pretty much a homegrown movement kind of like your Elks Lodge. I don't know if you have any kind of lodges in, in Sweden where you know elderly men get together <laughs> at, at a bar, right? <laughs> and talk politics over a beer, right? That's pretty much all Freemasonry was. Although, it was a hatching ground for the U.S. Constitution. Okay? So, uh, not everything uh, hap- happens at, at a local bar is bad. <laughs> all right, Vic. Oh, where were where we? Uh, of the Illuminati, Adam Weishaupt. Okay, all right, okay, so, yes. So I will I will continue. i digressing a bit, but... Yes. Um, <laughs> in 1785, uh, there happened a, a strange event which made it seem as though the heavenly, po- the heavenly powers themselves made a last-moment attempt to warn France and Europe against these massing powers of evil. Lightning struck dead a messenger of the Illuminati at Radisbon. 
the police found on the body papers dealing with plans for world revolution. Thereupon, the Bavarian government had the headquarters of the Illuminati searched and much uh, further evidence was discovered. French authorities were informed, but the process was of uh, paralyzed was too far advanced and no action resulted. No action resulted. Yeah, go ahead, take the next short paragraph there as well. By 1789, there were more than 2,000 lodges and crimes <laughs> affiliated to the Grand Orient, uh, the direct tool of international revolution, and their adepts number over 100,000. How could the, this movement expand so rapidly, Michael? The only thing I can think of is we have a lot of bored lower class nobles, right? Who, you know, it's, it's like, joining a lodge in those days was like joining the racquetball league, right? Or the hockey league, you know, that we have today. They had nothing better to do. And it was fun, and it was uh, creepy, a bit creepy, right? But uh, it wasn't boring by any means, right? That's amazing. So, in just a few years, 2,000 lodges had come about. Okay, and they are all dabbling in revolution. Okay, so let's continue. Thus, we get Jewish Illuminism under Moses Mendelssohn and Masonic Illuminism under Weishaupt, established as the inner controls of a strong secret organization covering the whole of France. Under the Illuminati worked Grand Orient Freemasonry, and under that again the Blue or National Masonry had operated until it was converted overnight into Grand Orient Masonry by Philippe de Orleans in 1773. Little did Egalité suspect the satanic powers he was invoking, Egalité being a person here, capital E-G-A-L-I-T-E, when he took that action, and satanic they certainly were. The name Lucifer means light-bearer, and Illuminati those who were lit by that light. By the time the Estates General met at Versailles on 5th May 1789, the paralysis of the executive authority by the secret organizations was complete. So even though lightning struck that horse rider, that... Uh, that uh, deliverer of mail from one Rothschild to another, right? Uh, and the Bavarian government exposed the whole plot. There were so many Freemasons in the French government that nothing could be done about it. Back to you, Michael. Yeah, and tell us about today. If someone tried to do anything, it's... Um, yeah, yeah, because yeah, they control the media. It's almost impossible to get the word out. Yeah, I mean, that is the, that's, yeah, we're doing, we have been giving this tool from Yahweh, so we have to use it because he, his words won't go out in void. It will accomplish things it meant. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a trickle-down effect, you know. Uh, our, our constant hammering on this message is finally beginning to bear fruit, even though it's all basically lower-class white people who are, you know, listening to this message, the rich and uh, moderately rich uh, and middle class still aren't hurting badly enough to try to determine why is everything going so badly wrong, 
right? They still rely on the system, the establishment. The establishment has become totally, totally controlled by Jews, okay? So yeah, go ahead, take the next three paragraphs, because two of them are so short. Yes, well, so, paralyzed by control of public opinion and publicity was well advanced by then also. Uh, this was the manner of its accomplishment. So, by 1780, the Orleans' entire income of 800,000 livres, thanks to his reckless gambling and extravagance, was more mortgaged uh, to the moneylenders. Oh, yeah, there, there they have you. But, uh, in yeah. 1781, in return for accommodation, he signed papers handing over his uh, palace, estates and house, um, uh, the uh, Palais Royal, to his creditors. With powers to form there a center of uh, politics, printing, pamphleteering, gambling, lectures, brothels, wine shops, uh, theaters, art galleries, Athletics. It's a regular. Yeah, it's a regular theme park, right? Like Disneyland. Uh, oh yeah, no, 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 no! Bad, bad, bad comparison. Las Vegas. Yeah, Better. bad there when you see Bravo. Yeah. So I hope that is not yeah. theme parks. Right. <laughs> All right. Please continue. And, uh, and any other uses which subsequently took the form of every variety of public debauchery. In fact. The Egalité's financial masters used his name and property to install a, a colossal organism for publicity and corruption, which appealed to every lowest instinct in human nature, and the, uh, delugged the enormous uh, crowds so gathered with the filthy and defamatory and revolutionary output of its uh, printing presses and debating clubs as um, uh, uh, scudder right in in uh, uh, prince of the blood. I can read this one as well. Yes. yes. So quote, it gave the police more to do than all the other parts of the city. End quote. It is interesting to note that the general manager installed by the creditors at the uh, Palais Royal was one of the like laws, uh, a political adventure of alien origin, author of. Uh, liaisons uh, dangeries and other pornographic works who was said quote to study the politics of love because of his love for politics okay also reminds me of the 1960s in America with the cultural revolution free love debauchery gambling uh, war everything right so this took place uh I guess, because yeah, you missed last week's show, uh, he talked about the uh, the British Revolution, where the debauchery was not nearly as bad and certainly not as open. But by this time, by the French Revolution, but, uh, but uh, again, I have to repeat that French society was already debauched, you know. So I guess Egalité is the name of the Duke d'Orleans, I'm not sure. He just introduced that name out of nowhere, it seems. So, but yeah, the the French culture, French society was already debauched, at least in the nobility, and so it was easy to take advantage of them, right? Okay, so 
Uh, this, this steady stream of corruption and destructive propaganda was linked with a series of systematic personal attacks of the vilest and most unscrupulous nature upon any public characters whom the Jacobins thought likely to stand in their way. This process was known as la infamie. Today it's called the treatment. Okay, in English it's called the treatment. Whoever the Jews want to destroy publicly, they give that person the treatment. They will make up all kinds of fictitious articles about that person. They will try to find that person in compromising positions and uh, uh, take a photograph and make a, a garish headline, <laughs> right, underneath the photograph. So if you had to be standing on the same uh, corner, let's say, at uh, at the beach, you know, and a girl in a bikini was standing next to you, and you, you didn't even know her, but uh, they'll plaster, oh, like in, in Britain today, they, they have uh, their, their tabloid newspapers, are just as debauched, okay? So they can easily besmirch someone's character with just with a photograph and a subtitle. That's all they need to do, okay? And just keep harping on this person until that person's reputation is destroyed. Well, so far they haven't been able to do it to DeSantis, uh, Governor of Florida. We'll see what happens. Anyway, Marie Antoinette herself was one of can the... Can I ask, um, yeah. Sure. Um, I see those Jacobins here, and we can yes. say one of the main critiques toward the the replacing monarchy in Sweden under Bernadotte is because he was a Jacobin. Ah, right. Yeah. That was uh, that was what he was swearing. He is a Jacobin, and uh, I think also he said he was a Jew. That was right. also what what was the what our forefather was. Uh, what they was um, what they was warning about right right so uh did the the bavarian government try to warn sweden as well are you uh, do you know about that i'm at not all? aware i'm not aware of that when this was in this was in the 17s uh, so i'm not aware of the of the warning that came up during okay. this during late 1780s because yeah. it was this it was one of the first targets the Illuminati did uh, one of the first what to say mission they stated was to murder the 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 Vasaet on the Swedish throne and then replace them by these Jacobins. So it was in that in that era when the Swedish Vasa was eradicated. Yes, yeah. So replacing Sabanot. Yeah. So we can see that the the behind the scenes operatives well placed the jacobins were more or less they were certainly controlled by the illuminati there's no doubt about that but they were a special breed of worm <laughs> right they were in charge of putting uh, uh of assassinating the character of even the honest frenchman not that there were very many of them, but even the honest Frenchman got the treatment. Okay, and that was the specialized task of the J- total propaganda. Total propaganda. So just like here in America, the Jews have taken totally over our newspaper and information industries. Totally. Not to mention entertainment. Okay, so when they have that much control, they can they can sway public opinion very very easily and one thing good that Trump did 
was he informed the public about fake news, right? Making it more difficult to brainwash the public. And that's getting more and more difficult. I mean, there are good signs, folks, that this operation, this modus operandi of the international Jew in debauching a society is beginning to show cracks. And it's not working like it used to. And I think one of the reasons why, despite the fact that Christianity in America is very weak, nevertheless, it's strong enough so that people say, look around and say, can you believe where our society is going with transgender operations and homosexuality? I mean, I hear it all the time. People are getting disgusted with what's happening, right? They still don't know who's causing it, but they're getting disgusted. And that's a very, very good sign. It's a healthy sign, folks. There, the the uh, patient is showing signs of moral health, a, a moral backbone. Okay. So, oh yeah, Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette herself was one of the chief targets for this typically Jewish form of attack. No lie or abuse was too vile to level at her. More intelligent, alert, and vigorous than the weak and indolent Louis, Marie Antoinette presented a considerable obstacle to the revolution. She had, moreover, received many warnings regarding Freemasonry from her sister in Austria, and no doubt was by this time more awake to its significance than when she had written to her sister some years previously. And I'll just read this this letter real quick and turn it back over to you. Quote, I believe that as far as France is concerned, you worry too much. Now, this was earlier. It doesn't say how many years earlier. You worry too much about Freemasonry. Here it is far from having the significance that it may have had elsewhere in Europe. Here everything is open, maybe too open, right? (laughs) And one knows all, so she thought. Then where could the danger be? One might well be worried if it were a question of a political secret society. But on the contrary, the government lets it spread, and it is only that which it seems an association, the objects of which are union and charity. That's what it looks like, but it's not. One dines, one sings, one talks, which has given the king occasion to say that people who drink and sing are not suspect of organizing plots, nor is it a society of atheists. No, they're Satanists. For we are told God is on the lips of all. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it was on the lips of Bill Clinton, too. They are very charitable, right? They bring up the children of their poor and dead members. They endow their daughters. What harm is there in all that? This is more propaganda. She was totally deceived by all this propaganda. Over to you. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go. Yeah, go ahead. And take the next read. The necklace episode is, is of a special significance. What harm, indeed, if these blameless pretensions masked new darker designs? Doubtless, the agents of Lysops and Mendelssohn reported on uh, to them the contents of the Queen's letters. Oh, uh, yeah. And we can imagine them shaking with laughter and rubbing their hands in satisfaction. Hands that were itching to destroy the very life of France and her queen, and which at the appropriate power would give the signal that would uh, convert secret conspiracy into the massacres of September and the bloodbath of the guillotine. 
in order to, to further the campaigns of calumny um, um, against the Queen, an elaborate hoax was arranged at the time when um, the financiers and grain speculators were deliberately creating conditions of poverty and hunger in Paris. Yeah, and here, oh. uh, yeah, yeah. Do you have something to say there about this? Yeah, yes, I, what I see is again, is the bankers. They are they are conspiring. They are the one making that uh, that the people are hungry and that they are in right. poverty because they're they're a funny gimmick gimmick money. Yes, yeah, that too. But uh, what was going on, and which uh, Louis the Fourteenth could not do, or Sixth—I forget which one Louis we're talking about right now. Uh, I think it's Sixteenth. The, the, he, he couldn't do anything about it because they had contracts. They had international contracts to deliver grain from France to other countries. So you had a situation in France where the peasants who grew the grain, right? We're watching helplessly as this grain was carted off, uh, you know, to the ports and be shipped to another country while they were starving. Okay, and and Louis couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, what, what was he going to do? Was he going to uh, send the troops to stop the uh, truckloads of grain? That's probably all he could have done, but that never occurred to him to interfere. But it's very obvious that it was the Jewish bankers who were arranging these uh, truckloads of grain to be shipped out of France, thus making the hunger situation far worse than it would have been. All right, back to you. Yes, uh, so uh, a diamond necklace valued at nearly a quarter of a million was ordered at uh, the court jurors uh, in the Queen's name by Ooh. an agent of the Jacobins. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. That uh, What an elaborate hoax this is. Uh, let's, let's see what this uh, hoax does to the reputation of Marie Antoinette. I guess it is to 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 say, oh, look how much money she have. Everybody can't eat. Look, yeah, right. Nickel. Exactly, exactly. I'm guessing, but no, no, you're guessing correctly. <laughs> All right, please continue. So, the unfortunate queen knew nothing of this affair until the necklace was brought round to her for acceptance. When she naturally disclaimed anything to do with the matter. Uh, pointing out that she would consider it wrong to order such a thing when France was in so bad a financial way. The printing presses of the uh, uh, Palais Royal, however, turned a full blast on to the subject, and every kind of criticism leveled at the Queen. A further scandal was then engineered for the uh, presses. Some prostitute, prostitute from the uh, Palais Royal was engaged to disguise <laughs> herself as the queen. Yeah. And by the forged letter, the uh, Cardinal uh, Prince de Rouen was um, induced to meet the supposed queen about midnight at the uh, Palais Royal, supposing he was uh, being asked for advice and help by the queen on the subject of the necklace. This event, needless to say, was in immediately reported to the printing presses and pamphleteers who started a further campaign containing the foulest 
uh, innuendos that could be imagined concerning the whole affair. Yeah, innuendos. Okay, this is this is incredible, Michael. Absolutely incredible that such an uh, affair could be pulled off. But you can do this when you have complete control of the press and no truth can, can get out. All right. So how is it possible that uh, the king uh, could allow this situation to happen? You know, there are times when the press needs to be controlled. When they're printing nothing but lies, then these people need to be arrested. They need to be arrested, you know, because they're causing havoc in the society. And this is typical. The Jewish press does this all the time. Right? So... When the Jews are involved and they're uh, printing filth like this, they need to be arrested because they're telling lies. All right? Oh, back to you. Yes. Uh, the moving spirit behind the scenes was Cagliostro, um, alias Joseph uh, Balsamo, a Jew from uh, Palermo, a doctor of the Kabbalistic art and a member of Illuminati, into which he was initiated at Frankfurt by Weishaupt in 1774. Wow. When the necklace had finally served its purpose, it was sent over to London, where most of the stones were retained by the Jew uh, Eliasson. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Attacks of a similar nature were directed against many other decent people who resisted the influence of the Jacobin clubs. After eight years of this work, the process of paralysis by mastery of publicity was complete. In every respect, therefore, by 1789, when the financiers forced the king to summon the estates general, the first portion of their plans for revolution, i.e. paralysis, were accomplished. I'll just read the next one. It now only remained to strike the blow or series of blows which were to rob France of her throne, her church, her constitution, her nobles, her clergy, her gentry, her bourgeoisie, her traditions, and her culture, leaving in their place, when the guillotine's work was done, citizen hewers of wood and drawers of water under an alien financial dictatorship. Can you believe this, Michael? Is it, can it be this easy for the Jews to utterly destroy a country? Yes, it is, folks. Yeah. yeah. It is frightening yeah. that it works. And this is not the first time. It was done in Russia in yes. a similar manner. It was also the same kind of revolution. And, and our people fall for it every time. Yeah. They can't imagine there would be a conspiracy so evil led by God's chosen people? <laughs> really? You still believe they're God's chosen people? Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, why don't we take three paragraphs in a row since these paragraphs are so short? Okay. Okay. So, from 1789 onwards, a succession of revolutionary acts were set in motion, each more violent than one preceding it, each unmasking fresh demands and more violent and revolutionary leaders. And in their turn, each of these leaders, a puppet only of the real powers behind the revolution, is set aside. And his head rolls into the basket to join those of his victims of yesterday. 
Well, uh, it hasn't gotten this bad yet in America, but we're getting really close, folks. That, you know, any politician who doesn't play ball with the Jews, he gets shot, his reputation is destroyed, and if he dares to turn against the Jews, his career is over. That's how much control the Jews have of the press in America. Absolute 100% total control. Back to you. Yes, so, um, uh, Philippe um, Egalité, uh, Duke de Orleans, was used to prepare the ground um, for the revolution, to protect uh, with his name and influence the infancy uh, of the revolutionary club, to popularize, uh, po- uh, popularize Freemasonry and the Palais Royal, and to sponsor such acts as the mon- March of the Women to Versailles. The women on this occasion were mostly men in disguise. <laughs> Just like our feminist movement today, right? Transgenders and, uh, what are we, what's the term, popular term for, uh, men in, in drag, put it that way. Okay. What, what a, what a spectacle. I mean, this is, this sounds like a burlesque routine. That's what this sounds yeah. like. Yeah. But it's real. Yeah. It's real politics. Yeah, it's uh, uh, so the Orleans was under the impression that the king and queen would be assass- assassinated by this mob and himself proclaimed a uh, democratic king. The real planners of the march, however, had other schemes in view. One main objective was to secure the removal of the royal family to Paris, where they would be clear of protection from the army and under the power of the uh, commune or Paris uh, County Council in which the Jacobins were supreme or commune. That right. is the same go. very similar name to the, what we call in Sweden the lowest parts in the commune. It is the same. It's, yeah. Right. Now we see what it comes from. Yeah. The, the bottom rung of the conspiracy of let's put it this way eager activists you know, like uh, the, the rung here in America would be the rung above Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Okay, so th- that would be the operatives of the Democratic Party. Okay, financed by George Soros and uh, Kissinger and people like that. Right. So the same thing is happening here in America, but our people don't know it. Okay, P- please continue. They continued to make use of an um, egalite right up to the time of the votes on the king's life, when he crowned his uh, sordid career by leading the open vote in voting for the death of his cousin. Wow. His master thereafter had no further use for his services, and he very shortly followed his cousin to the guillotines amidst the uh, execrations of all classes. So you see that when the Jews use you, you're, you're going to uh, find a very bitter end to your usefulness. Okay? Very much better for us not to cooperate with Jews. But of course, this is so sinister, so tricky, so sneaky. Oh, remember uh, what did it say about the uh, Nachash that seduced Eve? More cunning than any beast of the field? Here it is, folks. The Jews have that spirit of Nachash, 
It's in their DNA. Continuing, number 31. Mirabu played a similar role to that of Egalite. He had intended that the revolution should cease with the setting up of Louis as a democratic monarch with himself as chief advisor. So every single one of these revolutionaries had a personal, uh, you know, either vendetta or ambition by which they, they were acting. Okay, and the Jews were able to exploit this ambition to the hilt. He had no desire to see violence done to the king. On the contrary, in the last days before he died mysteriously by poison, he exerted all his efforts to get the king removed from Paris and placed in charge of loyal generals still commanding his army. He was the last of the moderates and monarchists to dominate the Jacobin Club of Paris. That bloodthirsty focus of revolution which had materialized out of the secret clubs of the Orient Masons and Illuminati. It was Mirabeau's voice, loud and resonant, that kept in check the growing rage of the murderous fanatics who swarmed therein. There is no doubt, sounds like Antifa became the government. There is no doubt that he perceived at last the true nature and strength of the beast which he had worked so long and so industriously to unchain. In his last attempt to save the royal family by getting them out of Paris, he actually succeeded in shouting down all opposition in the Jacobin Club. That evening he died by a sudden and violent illness, and as the author of the Diamond Necklace writes, quote, Lewis was not ignorant that Mirabeau had been poisoned. Wow, wow. If only we could wake the American people up and realize that the same thing is happening here in America right now. And any good and decent yeah. leader is going to be poisoned or murdered or worse. Back to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this poison is also something that always seems to follow the, what do I say, the empire. Same with the Persian Empire. Before they fell, they their court seems to also be found of uh, their, what do you say, monarchs was killed by poisoning. Same right. probably what happened right. to Alexander. He was probably yeah. also poisoned when he was in Babylon. Right, yeah, and uh, Congressman Louis T. McFadden here in America, he was the head of the House Committee on Banking. He criticized the Bank of, uh, not the, well, the same thing, Bank of England, the Federal Reserve Bank too often. They poisoned him three times. It took him three times to poison him to death. So he escaped the first two times, but you know, nothing was done. Nothing was done about it. And it's obvious who did it. You know, who had the, who had the motivation to poison Congressman McFadden? It was the Federal Reserve Bank. But nobody took yeah. action. Yeah. That's amazing. All right. Yeah, that's that is so to see the apathy that has yes. fallen on our people. Amen. Amen. It is apathy yeah. that will it get. That's why that's why it's a word about those in the Bible is that we shouldn't uh, sit idle by when injustice is done. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But you know the day is coming. Yeah, that sounds just like what's going on in, in America today. It's horrible, folks. It's absolutely horrible. And, you know, but fortunately, because America has been a Christian country, and to the extent that it has and still is somewhat Christian, 
the the people are getting really fed up with all of this corruption, right? And fortunately, we have guns with which to fight back. That's why America still exists, folks. If it weren't for the fact that we have the Second Amendment and the Rothschilds are afraid to attack America with violence. Up to this point, they have still been afraid to attack us with violence. That day's coming, though. And the longer it takes, the more and more our people will begin to wake up to the real threat, to the the canker worm that has taken over our government. And the more, the longer it takes them to execute violence, the more people wake up, will wake up, and the less likely their violent overthrow is is to succeed. All right, back to you. Yes, thank you. So yeah. thus, like Philippine uh, Egalité and Latcher, Danton, and Robespierre. Uh, Mirabeau too was removed from the stage when his role had been played. We are reminded of the passage in number 15 of the Protocols of Zion. Quote, we execute Masons in such wise that none save the Brotherhood can ever have a suspicion of it. End quote. And again, quote, in this way we shall proceed with those Goy Masons who know too much. Uh-huh. End quote. Right. Yes, uh, please. As Mr. E. Uh, Shudder writes in his Life of uh, Mirabeau, quote, he died at a moment when the re- revolution might still have been checked, end of quote. Yeah, please continue. Uh, yeah, this is good stuff. The figure of Laviette occupies the stage on several important occasions during this first revolutionary stage. And he was one of those simple Freemasons who are born they know not whither in a <laughs> ship they have not fully explored and by currents cons- concerning which they are totally ignorant. Yes. While a popular figure with the revolutionary crowds, he very uh, severely handled several incipient in, uh, outbreaks of revolutionary violence. Notably, in the march of the women to Versailles during the attack on the um, uh, Tuileries and at the um, Champs de Mars, he too desired to establish establishment of a um, democratic monarchy and would um, count countenance uh, no threat to the king, even from uh, Philippe Egalité, whom he treated with the utmost hostility during and after the march of the women to Versailles, believing on that occasion that Egalité intended the um, assassinations of the king and the usurpation of the crown. Okay, all right, so let's think back a little bit here, like 2,000 years back, when the Edomites under Antipater, who bribed Julius Caesar a great sum of money, to install his son Herod as Tetrarch of Galilee and Phasaelus, I forget what country, uh, Phasaelus being Herod's brother, some other part of, of Judea, okay? So this strategy of installing false leaders was begun 2,000 years ago, and it's it has remained as a main portion of Jewish strategy against our people ever since. 
and nobody seems to be catching on, right? 2,000 years ago, folks, they've been doing it. They did it in Spain, as we see. They're doing it in France. They're doing it in America. They're doing it in every country of Europe. They're even doing it in Muslim countries, undermining the leadership of Muslim countries, simply by spies, spies and assassins. It is it is a modus operandi which is so effective in, number one, getting rid of the good leaders of the country, and every president of America who has been assassinated has been assassinated by them, the last one being Kennedy, and maybe more that we're not aware of, right? And this goes on and on and on and on. So our people have to make a stance against these vipers. We have to let them know, as a people, we know who and what they are. And if you dare to try to fulfill this type of plot in America, you better wear body armor. Because the American people have had enough. We know your game. We're, and even if you know, a lot of the Second Amendment people here in America don't quite know who the real culprits are, they're ready to fight. Okay? This is not going to be a, a cakewalk like the Soviet Union was, folks. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be bloody, but we're going to win. Back to you. It was something I was thinking about while you, but I forgot what was okay. I was thinking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Sweden doesn't have guns, <laughs> right? And neither most of these countries in Europe. That's why they're pushed over so easily. Plus, America is a huge country, right? These smaller countries are easier to overthrow. Yeah, so. and basically, my my nation, I sit in Sweden, is basically the size of one of your city states, one of your states. So right. It is, we are we are that's, we are a bit smaller here. Yes, we are. Right. Yeah. You don't have as many officials that need to be assassinated for them to take over, right? And uh, and, and there's still resistance here, and the patriotic right is still strong. I mean, uh, I, I tell you, the, the meetings I've been going to recently, the there's anger. There's real anger among let's let's call it the middle, lower middle class and even upper middle class to what's going on, the, the corruption in the government, the corruption in medicine, the corruption in, in uh, the press. They're sick and tired of it. And you know, they're just not going to take it anymore, right? So and, uh, our job is to point in the right direction who the enemy is, right? That's our job, okay? Yeah. So, Can we make the, maybe we are like the Black Robe Regiments. There you go. That's that's definitely what's required. Right. That's definitely what's required. And even that's beginning to get fired up. You know, even even a guy like Chuck Baldwin, who is a pastor in Montana, he's been criticizing the Jews up and down in the Israeli state. The more and more pastors are growing a backbone and criticizing the Israeli state and the Zionists here in America. Right. So, there's hope here. There's hope here, folks. All right. So, where did we leave off? <laughs> okay. Um, he, at the beginning of page 25, he eventually became an obstacle to the powers behind the revolution. Right. And was pa- uh, packed off to a war against Austria, ah. which the assembly forced Louis to declare. 
once he did da- uh, dash back to Paris in an effort to save the king, but he was packed off again to the war. Mirabeau's death followed, and Louis' fate was sealed. Wow. So, so uh, why wasn't Mirabeau able to have an audience with the king? Yeah, he probably would have been assassinated had he tried. Right? Yeah, back to you. Um, the wide figures of Danton, Marat, Robespierre, and the uh, fanatics of the Jacobin Club now dominated the scene. In September of 1792, where perpetrated the terrible September massacres, 8,000 persons being murdered in the prisons of Paris alone, and many more over the country. And who oh, was there it? Is who, similarities to yeah. Bolshevik Russia. Amen. And who was it blamed on? Who were these massacres you. blamed on? Yeah, us. You know, the, they were blamed on the regime. Okay, but they were carried out by the Illuminati. Yeah, yeah, Jews. Yes, amen. They are the one. They are the bloodthirsty one. They are all the murders of all righteous ones from Abel to Zechariah. And yeah, and, and to the present, absolutely. Yeah. It should be noted here that these victims were um, arrested and held uh, till the time of the massacres in the prisons by one M- Manuel, um, procureur of the commune. Huh. Okay. Either an Illuminatus or a Jew, or possibly both. Right? Okay, let me pick it up here. Let's just, let's go a half page by half page, because uh, these paragraphs are so short. Sir Walter Scott evidently understood much concerning the influences which were at work behind the scenes. In his Life of Napoleon, Volume 2, he writes on page 30, The demand of the Commune de Paris... Now the Sanhedrin of the Jacobins was, of course, for blood. These are Sir Walter Scott's words, folks. He calls them a Sanhedrin of the Jacobins was, of course, for blood. Again, on page 56, he writes, quote, The power of the Jacobins was irresistible in France, or Paris, where Robespierre, Danton, and Marat shared the high places in the synagogue. He calls it a synagogue. Writing of the commune, Sir Walter Scott states in the same work, quote, the principal leaders of the communes seem to have been foreigners, unquote. He's not using the word Jew, which he really should. And let me take this next paragraph only one sentence into the next page. Some of the names of these foreigners are worthy of note. There was Coderlo de Laclos, manager of the Palais Royal, said to be of Spanish origin. There was Manuel, the procurer of the commune, already mentioned. He it was who started the attack upon royalty in the convention, which culminated with the execution of Louis and Marie Antoinette, There was David the Painter, a leading member of the Committee of Public Security, which, quote, tried the victims. His voice was always raised calling for death. Sir Walter Scott writes that this fiend used to preface his bloody work of the day with the professional phrase, let us grind enough of the red. (laughs) Meat grinder, let's throw the French into the meat grinder. Back to you, Michael. Thank you. Um, David, it was who inaugurated the cult of the Supreme Being 
and organized uh, quote the conducting of uh, this heathen uh, mammary, which was uh, substituted for very external signs of rational devotion. End quote. Sir Walter Scott, Life of Napoleon, Volume Two. There were Rubel and Gohier. Uh, two of the five uh, directors who, with a council of elders, became the government after the fall of Robespierre, being known as the um, director. The terms um, directors and elders are, of course, characteristically Jewish. Um, one other observation should be made here. It is that this important work by Sir Walter Scott in nine volumes revealing so much of the real truth um, is practically unknown, is never reprinted with his other works and is almost unobtainable. Yeah, where do you have to go to get one? And how much does it cost, right? I'll bet some Jew has it on the internet for $20 million, right? (laughs) All right, back to you. Those familiar with Jewish techniques will appreciate the full significance of this fact and the added importance in uh, it leads to Sir Walter Scott's evidence regarding the powers behind the French Revolution. Um, to return to the scene in Paris, Robespierre now remains alone and apparently master of the, of the scenes. But uh, this again was only... Uh, appearance. Let us turn to the life of Robespierre by one G. Renier, who writes as though Jewish secrets were at his disposal. He writes, quote, From April to July 1794, the fall of Robespierre, the terror was at its height. It was never the, the, the uh, dictatorship of a single man, least of all Robespierre's some 20 men. Um, the Committee of Public Safety and General Security shared the power. End of quote. Oh, you know what? This reminds me of FDR's alphabet soup agencies, right? Yes. But they weren't in a position to execute people. They were still uh, undermining our society, nevertheless, right? But they arranged for wars and show trials. Back to you. Yes. Uh, quote, on the 28th of July, 1794, end quote, to quote Mr. Rainier again, quote, Robespierre made a long speech before the convention, a, a, a pilipic against ultra-terrorists, uttering vague general accusations. Oh, terrorists yeah. don't do oh. that today. Oh, yeah, well, it's like uh, George W. Bush saying, we have to fight a war against terrorism. Yeah, sure. The same same script over and over and over again. Absolutely amazing. I dare not name them at this moment and in this place. (laughs) I cannot bring myself entirely to tear asunder the veil that covers this profound mystery of iniquity. But I can affirm most positively that among the authors of this plot are the agents of the systems of corruption and extravagance, the most powerful of all the means invented by foreigners for the undoing of the Republic. Ah. I mean the impure apostles of atheism and the immorality that is at its base. And yeah. of Jews. 
<laughs> Still didn't use the Jew word. All right, okay, please continue. Uh, go ahead and narrate for the duration here. This is really good stuff. Uh, Mr. Renier continued with all Jews' satisfaction. <laughs> Quote, had he not spoken these words, he might still have triumphed. All <laughs> right, yeah. So, is he saying that we need to work secretly as well in opposition to these sons of the devil? I think so. Yeah. We can't be announcing our techniques and our plans to them. But they're trying with their their surveillance state to figure out every move we might make against them, right? So we, we can't be using their smart apps, right, and telling them what we're going to do. We need to have the element of surprise as well. Back to you. Yes, so, in this smug sentence, Mr. Reynier unwittingly adopts the is and crosses the T's, which uh, Robespierre had left uncompleted. Robespierre's allusion to the, uh, quote, uh, corrupting and secret uh, foreigners, end quote, was getting altogether too near the Oh, right, right, a little too close. A little more, and the full truth would be out. At 2 a.m. that uh, night, Robespierre was shot uh, in the jaw and early on the following day dragged to the guillotine. Um, again, let us recall Protocol 15. Quote, in this way, we shall proceed with Goy Masons who know too much. <laughs> right? Goy Masons. Too much Manischewitz wine in Mason jars. Yeah. Note, uh, in a somewhat similar manner, Abraham Lincoln was shot and killed by the Jew both on the evening of his uh, pronouncements to his cabinet that he intended in future to finance U.S. loans on a debt-free basis, similar uh, to the debt-free money known as greenbacks, right. with which he had financed the Civil War. Yep. You can't let you can't let that to happen. They they want to control the economy. Don't you dare control your own economy. All right. Oh, now the Russian Revolution. Go for it, Michael. Chapter three. Monsieur uh, Francois Coty, the celebrated scent manufacturer, wrote in um, Figaro on twentieth of February, nineteen thirty-two. Quote. The subsidies granted to the nihilist, nihilist at this period, 1905 to 1917, by Jacob Schiff and of Kuhn Loeb and Company, New York, were no longer acts of isolated generosity. A veritable Russian terrorist organization had been set up at his expenses. It covered Russia with its emissaries. And right. Quote. Okay, so we see that uh, the the game of hiring thugs to create acts of terrorism uh, again it goes back to the days of Christ when the sanhedrin hired a bunch of thugs to throw rocks at him right to spit on him etc cetera, etc cetera. all right and they're still doing it today and still getting away with it folks we have to start praying for the exposure of this tactic by the perfidious Jew. Back to you. 
Yes. So, uh, this creation of terrorist formation by Jews within a country marked down for a revolution, whether they be called nihilist or, as in France in 1789, quote, sacred bands, end quote, or, quote, marzielles, end quote, or, quote, operatives, end quote, as in, in the Britain of Charles I, now stands revealed as standard techniques. Jacob Schiff also financed Japan in her war against Russia, 1904-5, as we learn from the Jewish Encyclopedia. Um, this war, and I guess this war against against Russia was in one of the steps, of course, to overthrow Russia, because yes. at that time, Tsar Nicholas II did not have a, a Jewish central bank. That That's was right. also one of the one of the reasons for the First World War. It was Amen. to topple the Russian economy and to topple the Tsar. Yeah, and also to get even with Russia for helping Lincoln uh, stave off a British invasion during the Civil War. A British, a combined British from the North and a French from the South invasion of America during the Civil War. We have the, uh, I think, Tsar Nicholas the First. Well, we have him to thank for the staving off that invasion. Back to you. Yeah, and the Jews do a lot of they do they does their thing for not one reason alone. It is lots of reasons. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they need to. They needed to take care, take control of the American economy, because America was threatening to become more powerful than all of Europe together. Back to you. Yes. Um, this war was immediately followed by an attempt at revolution on a considerable scale in Russia, which, however, proved abortive. The next attempt during the Great War met with complete success. On the 3rd January 1906, the Russian foreign ministers supplied to Emperor Nicholas II a report on this revolutionary outbreak, uh, which, as revealed in the American Hebrew of July the 13th, 1918, contained the following passages. <clears throat> Quote, the event which took place in Russia in 1905 plainly indicate that the revolutionary movement has a definite international character. The revolutionaries possess great quantities of arms imported from abroad and very considerable financial means. One is bound to conclude that there are forging capitalist organizations' interest in supporting our revolutionary movement. If we add to the above that, as has been proven beyond any doubt, a very considerable part is, is played by Jews. So this is a Jewish, a Jewish newspaper admitting it. Yes, as ringleaders in other organizations as well as their entire own, well as their own. Always the most bellicose um, uh, element of the revolution. We may feel entitled to assume that the above-mentioned forging support of the Russian revolutionary movement comes from Jewish capitalist circles. And that Jews should be read as international Zionists. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you can see this book is revealing stuff that the vast majority of history books will never touch. Not even close. All right. This is a real history book, folks. <laughs> All right. The Nameless War by Archibald Ramsey. Fantastic book. Please continue. 
the assumption in the uh, foregoing report was indeed well justified. It was to be confirmed by an even more important official document penned at the height of the revolution itself in 1918 by Mr. Oldendijk, the representative of the Netherlands government in St. Petersburg, who was in charge of British interests in Russia after the liquidation of our embassy by the Bolsheviks. So important indeed was this report of Mr. Uh, Aldendijk's held uh, to be by Mr. Balfour, to whom it was addressed, that it was set out in a British government white paper on Bolshevism issued in April 1919. Russia number one. In it, I have read the following passage. Quote, I consider that the imminent suppression of Bolsheviks is the greatest issue now before the world, not even excluding the war which is still raging, and unless Bolsheviks is nipped in the bud immediately, it is bound to spread in one form or another over Europe and the whole world, as it is organized and worked by Jews who have no nationality and whose one object is to destroy for their own and the existing order of things. End of quote. Amen. That's real intelligence. <laughs> right? Not fake intelligence like we're always getting. All right. So it's not... Uh, but now, it's interesting. He's, he addressed it to Mr. Balfour, who had a couple of years before, 1917, issued the Balfour Declaration in favor of the Zionists having a, uh, a Jewish state in Palestine. So what does Mr. Balfour expect from these Jews? Does he expect anything good to come from Zionism? He should understand that there's no way you could do any good to come from having uh, any kind of agreement with Jews. You will um, always have the short end. That's right. Okay. Um, a, steer, a still clearer light is thrown on these happenings by an article written on 12th April 1919 in a paper called The Communist at Kharkov by one M. Cohen. Oh, yeah. Guess yeah. what that is. What that is. <laughs> right. Uh, quote, the Great Russian Revolution was indeed accomplished by the hands of Jews. There are no Jews in the ranks of the Red Army as far as privates are concerned. But in the committees and in the Soviet organization as uh, commissars, the Jews are gallantly leading the masses. The symbol of Jewry has become the symbol of the Russian uh, proletariat, which can be seen in, in the fact of the adoption of the five-pointed star, which in former times was a symbol of Zionism and Jewry. And Very interesting. Quote, okay, so they changed it later to the six-pointed star. Okay. Uh, Mr. Fay, in his important and um, authenticated work, The Rulers of Russia, is more specific, uh, stating that in 1917, of the 59-52 persons who took over the um, directions of Russia, all but Lenin, were Jews. So, uh, through was the mass liquidation of all but um, 
and hewers of wood and drawers of waters in Russia, that this Jewish grip remained unaltered. Uh, Dr. Fay tells us that in 1935, the central executive of the Third International, which ruled Russia, uh, quote, consisted of 59 men, of which 56 were Jews. The other three, including Stalin, were married to Jewesses of 17 principal Soviet ambassadors. Four were Jews, and quote. Rulers of Russia, page 8 and 9. Yep, a very sad recording of history here. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to keep on now? Yeah, well, here, yeah, let me take over here. The Reverend George Simons, who was superintendent of the Methodist Episcopal Church in St. Petersburg, from 1907 to October 1918, appeared before a committee of the United States Senate on the 12th of February 1919 and gave them a report of his personal knowledge of the happenings in Russia up to the time he left. Dr. Fahey quotes him as saying during this evidence, quote, In December 1918, out of 388 members of the revolutionary government, only 16 happened to be real Russians. All the rest were Jews with the exception of one U.S. Negro. 265 of the Jews come from the Lower East Side of New York. Okay? American Jews, no less. Right? Where they were trained at the Rockefeller Mansion to use weapons. Such has been the condition of affairs in the USSR from that day to this. Though a number of Jews were liquidated in the so-called Moscow Purge, this affected the situation in no way. It merely signified that one Jewish faction had triumphed over and liquidated another. Oh man, that would be nice if that happened today. Let's let the Jewish factions liquidate each other. There has never been anything in the nature of a Gentile revolt against the Jewish domination. Well, we have had that twice here in America. It's called the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812. But uh, the cognizance of our people that the Jew was our enemy at that time was very dim. Only a few people understood it. Nevertheless, we're going to have a third war against them, folks. Get ready. The fact that some Jews were liquidated by winning factions behind the Iron Curtain could be used to deceive the world outside into thinking that this was the result of an anti-Semitic revolt. And from time to time, a hoax of this kind has been systematically prop- propaganded. As world opinion gradually turned hostile to the USSR, important Jews began to fear that this feeling, combined with a gradual realization that Bolshevism is Jewish, might have unpleasant reactions for them. About 1945, therefore, a further powerful campaign was organized from the influential Jewish circles, notably in the USA, to put out the story once again that Russia had turned on the Jews. They evidently failed, however, to advise their lesser brethren of this move, and indignant and informed denials were soon forthcoming. A journal called Bulletin, the organ of the Glasgow Discussion Group, wrote in June 1945, quote, Such rubbish as is now being spread as to the growth of anti-Semitism in Russia is nothing but malicious lies and pure invention. Now, why would the Jews want to invent such propaganda? Well, as he said in the previous paragraph, to create the impression that uh, Jews were not welcome in Russia, even though they controlled it, <laughs> right? Okay, but this was just 
uh, greasing the skids to get, get these Jews to go to Palestine, which is where the Zionists wanted them to go. Right? Well, they didn't okay. go there. Weren't many of them ended up in 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 America and then formed those what to say the mafia, the red mafia. In that book, is tells about the many of the mafiosos that came over in the what is it sixties and seventies? They were Jews, and yeah, they and were he, the most violent one of them. Yeah, and even before, you know, the, the yeah, yeah but, the but Italians, it, but they weren't Italian. They were of course Jews. The, right. the mafia mafia business is Jewish. Yeah, well, the Jewish mafia actually started in the Lower East Side of New York City in around 1908, okay, from all of the Russian Jews coming to America even before the Bolshevik Revolution, right? They were communists. The vast majority of these Jews from Russia were communists. Okay, let's continue. On 1st February 1949, the Daily Worker carried an article in which a Mr. Parker gave a few names and figures of Jews in high office in the USSR from which he had evidently recently returned, for he wrote, quote, I never heard a breath of criticism over the state of affairs, and stated later in the same article, quote, anti-Semitism would render a Soviet official liable to prosecution in the same way that a private citizen may be brought before the courts for anti-Semitism, unquote. On the 10th of November, 1949, the daily worker that that constant and burning champion of the Jews, printed an article by Mr. D. Cartoon entitled Stamping Out Anti-Semitism, which shows the complete Jewish control behind the Iron Curtain. When he writes, quote, In Poland and the other people's democracies, anti-Semitism, in a word or deed, is most heavily, sorry, heavily punished, unquote. Back to you. We're about yeah, seven minutes left. You, yeah, and yeah, that tells you his rules. You that the the punishment against anti-Semitics is so hard because yeah, they rule the yeah. rules. Right. Yeah. Well, what do we have here? We have the ADL. Anybody who speaks out publicly against the Jews or or places a sticker on a rock gets arrested, accused of hate speech or even a hate crime, a felony. To place uh, an anti-homosexual sticker on a rock in New York City is a felony, folks. Back to you. So, uh, between 1945 and 1949, the propaganda to convince Gentiles outside the Iron Curtains that within the area, anti-Semitism was rampant. And the Jews, driven from high office everywhere, was energetically pursued. It began to be believed by quite a number of people who would have known better, so much so that in the autumn of uh, the last year, I thought it, it worthwhile to go out a list showing the number of vital positions held by Jews behind the Iron Curtain. Here is an extract from those lists. Okay, so, let's... Uh, yeah, okay. So, Premier Stalin, married to a Jewess, Names, ah, folks. These are, these, these are the names of the Jewish perpetrators of the Bolshevik Revolution. Please continue. Yeah, but Stalin, wasn't that name a son, son of a Jew? Yeah, Jugashvili. Yeah, he was also Jewish. Just didn't, the author just didn't realize. Jugashvili was his Georgian name, which means son of a Jew. Stalin yeah, had so Jewish was, blood, too. was a Jew, too. Right, yeah. So, let's see if I can pronounce all those names. Yeah. <laughs> Kaganovich, Jew. Yep. 
Ministry of State Control, Meckels, Jill. Military and Naval Construction, Ginsburg, Jill. Minister um, Comiform com Organ, Judine, Jill. Chief Publicist Abroad for USSR, Eli Ehrenberg. Yeah, and I think, yeah, Ehrenberg actually escaped to America and became oh. a, a Hollywood film producer. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, Ministry of Building Enterprises Machinery, Judine, Jill. Forging Minister's Minister, Molotov, married Trejulis. Okay. And now let's see what is said about Poland. Um, virtual ruler, Jacob Bergman, Jew. Public prosecutor, T. Um, Cyprian, Jew. OC Youth Movements, Dr. Branjewski, Jew. And Hungary, virtual ruler, Matthias Rakosi, Jew. Okay, and then after him came... Uh... Kuhn, Bela Kuhn, another Jew, who was uh, the ruler of Hungary up until the Hungarian Revolution, and probably even a little bit afterwards. Back to you. And here we have Romania, virtual ruler, Anna uh, Pauker, Jewess. Um, since removed for deviationism, but replaced by another Jew. Yeah, deviationism. You, you shall ah. not deviate from the revolution... <laughs> Okay, yeah. she was a she was a deviant Jew, if there is such a thing. Yeah, she had to, she, her, 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 she wanted to be a ruler of her own, I guess. That's right. She was a feminist. She, she didn't want to take yeah. take orders from a man, even if it's a Jewish man. Yeah, Yugoslavia virtual ruler, uh, Moise uh, Pijede, Jew. Good. That's the way I would have pronounced it. <laughs> okay. We only have a few minutes left. Let's uh, see what more we can get into the today's show. Please continue. In May 1949, the day the worker, which is, of course, consistently and ardently pro-Jewish, printed an article by Mr. A. Rothstein praising the USSR to the skies and about the same time, Another article on similar lines about the paradise behind the Iron Curtain by Mrs. Sam Arnwich. Okay, now, Mr. A. Rothstein, is that Arnold Rothstein, the head of the Jewish mob in America? The same uh, mobster who bribed the Chicago White Sox to throw the World Series? Could be. Back to you. Nothing possible. Yeah. On the 10th of November, the same paper printed an article in which the uh, cartoon uh, writing of the people's democracies and the stamping out of anti-Semitism there wrote, quote, no one could dream of making an anti-Semitic speech or writing an anti-Semitic article in any of these countries. If they did, their jail sentence would be both imminent and lengthy. Just and like so here in America, right? Anybody who dares to speak out against the Jews... Looking at persecution from the mass media and potentially concocted charges of wrongdoing such as hate speech, right? 
Yes, so in the last few years we have been supplied with further um, dramatic proof of the vital interrelation between Jews and the USSR from the Canadian spy trials which focused on the spotlight on atom spying for the USSR uh, with the conviction and imprisonment of Frank Rosenberg alias Rose, the Canadian Jew Communist Member of Parliament and several Jews to be uh, con conviction and imprisonment of many others of the same gang in Britain and the USA, including Fuchs, Professor Weinbaum, Judith uh, Coplon, Harry Gold, David Greenglass, Julius Rosenberg, Miriam Moskowitz, Abraham uh, Brothanf, and Ra Raymond Boyer, who thought a Gentile by birth, married Jewess, and, I believe, adopted the Jewish creed on the occasion. Okay, so, but that's anti-Semitic to, to name all these Jews as communists, right? Isn't that anti-Semitic? All right, folks, we'll continue with this. Yes, yes. next Sunday. Do we Sunday? have time to read the last here? Then we are done with this Oh, we're, we're less than a minute. We're less than a minute. Okay. Yeah, so we no time. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Read this book, The Nameless War. Take care. Yahweh bless everybody. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye, everybody. Be it.